Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the show. This one featuring Labour MP Jess Phillips. We had a wide-ranging discussion on, as you would expect, Trump and a little bit on Brexit, although I, I got the sense that um, she, and indeed a lot of us are getting slightly bored with talking about Article 50. Life under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, life as a, a, a young new MP, her own politics that are uh, very left-wing, her pragmatism. It's a, it's a brilliant wide-ranging interview and, and it is still remarkable to think that she's only been an MP for a year and a half. She became an immediate star, it seems, on, on day one of getting elected, and rightly so. Uh, she's one of the most refreshingly honest politicians I've ever spoken to and uh, was a delight. Um, and it, one of those ones, uh, I mean, to be fair, with all of them, I, I wish I could go on longer, but with, with Jess, I really felt that there was a, a lot more we could talk about. Um, she's brilliant, and I'm sure you'll love it. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hello. Woo! Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, give me a cheer. Have you been here before? Yay! Welcome back, regulars. Give me a cheer. If this is your first time. Yay! Oh, excellent. Welcome back, you newcomers. Lovely. It is four years ago to the week that we started doing this gig. That's fun. Oh, it's quite emotional, isn't it? Four more years. Yeah. Very good. Well done. Um, the first guest was George Galloway. Was anyone here for that one? Do you remember? Do you remember? I was thinking about this the other day about some of the guests we had down there, and I'll never forget a moment during the Galloway one where we were talking about. Um, he said that he wasn't. He was left wing on everything apart from crime. And then he used a very odd phrase. He said, "Let me tell you, if anyone ever threatened the democracy of this country, I'd be the first one." He, he said something like, "Creeping up behind them in the moonlight and slitting their throat." <laughs> Four years ago to the week, ladies and gentlemen, a, a legacy was born. Um, but obviously we need to start because, of the, I mean, what, what an incredible period in our lives. We need to start by really dealing with the one individual, the one man uh, that poses the biggest threat uh, to our democracy. That's right, uh, Jeremy Corbyn had a... Had a, I don't know if anyone saw Promises Question Time today, or saw any of the fallout from it. But Corbyn obviously has been trying to relaunch himself this year as a statesman, and today he took a big opportunity. He paid tribute uh, to a police officer in Northern Ireland that had sadly lost his life, bravely lost his life fighting terrorism. There was only one major problem. The police officer ain't dead. <laughs> now, it was fucking amazing TV. So Theresa May says, oh, we're obviously the, the police officer who got shot. Other MPs go shot. And Corbyn gets because we'd like to send our condolences to the man. Like, the poor family, this was news to them. <laughs> Thought the poor bugger was still alive. <laughs> there are so many wonderful things about it. His team were obviously trying to spin it positively. Uh, and when the police officer eventually dies, presumably in about 50 years' time, uh, this will be proof that Corbyn was well ahead of his time. Uh, <laughs> Paying tribute to him a full 57 years before he expired. <laughs> really leading the movement. In, um, his, his great excuse, by the way, was that he, his team are now saying, oh, he didn't mean to say that he died. He meant to say he'd nearly died. <laughs> Who says that? 
I'd like to pay tribute, Mr. Speaker, to a young man today who nearly died. <laughs> it's not a phrase you use, is it? Like, it's every week they're going to be tributes to people who nearly died. <laughs> on this day, obviously, during the, at this time of the year, we always pay tribute to the thousands of people who nearly died. <laughs> the millions who nearly lost their lives. A weekly sort of update from Mr. Corbyn. I'd like to pay tribute, Mr. Speaker, to some of the people that nearly died this week, including drunk Mick, who fell into a, who fell into a <laughs> cement mixer on a building site in Nottingham, and, of course, the Queen and Prince Philip. But that's true every week. <laughs> Ed Miliband got involved in pre-MQs today. I don't know if anyone saw that. Got involved, got a lovely big cheer, and before he could even open his mouth, Burko had pissed on his chips. She said, Mr. Ed Miliband, Miliband gets up and Burko goes... I bet the Honourable Member's forgotten he was quite so popular. <laughs> now, that was quite funny, but Miliband then goes, oh, it brings, brings back memories, Mr Speaker. <laughs> yeah, when Cameron used to get cheers, mate. Not, <laughs> not when you did. Um, but he asked, he, asked, uh, he asked Theresa May a, f a fascinating question, uh, Miliband. He said, and can she, in a meeting uh, with Donald Trump uh, next week, uh, remind the President... That climate change is not a hoax by the Chinese. Now, he's obviously making a very good point, but the way, the way sort of inflection went was like there was more to say, it's actually a hoax by the Japanese. <laughs> and I know the president gets confused between the two. He <laughs> got quite a positive reaction, though, uh, Miliband. You might have even felt in this room, people on Twitter going, oh, it's nice to see him back, isn't it? Oh, weren't things better then? No. <laughs> Banish that thought from your mind. Some people who bump into an ex a few years later and think, oh, they've lost a bit of weight. Yeah, he's not just any sort of ex Miliband, right? He's the sort of guy you delete his number, you unfollow him, you unfriend him, you burn everything he ever fucking touched, right? Because he hasn't learned his lesson. He still doesn't know why you dumped him yet. That was coming from a very personal place. <laughs> he's less of a sort of ex, more fucking Dr. Frankenstein looking down on the creation that he fucking... <laughs> It's alive, or nearly alive. I mean, they're similar things, aren't they? Um, <laughs> obviously, the big news of the year is that President Trump is now, uh, indeed, President Trump. Um, I'm working on an impression. I haven't fully got it there yet, uh, but I've got the hand thing and the lips. Right there. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be so great. You, you're going you're gonna to love it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Such a wonderful time. It, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I actually, he scares me more when he's being nice. When it's being horrible and talking about Muslims and walls, I'm like, right, I know where I am with this guy. When it's not talking about, you're going to be so happy, it's going to be such a great day. It's going to be such a beautiful thing. I'm, I don't trust him one bit when he, he's got the manner of a man trying to put an elderly relative into a care home. <laughs> you're going to be so happy, it's going to be such a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great, you're going you're gonna to love it. Uh, by the way, Doc, knock her about a bit. She's got dementia. I used to lock her in the cupboard. It'd be great. <laughs> Slap her silly. She don't know what's going on. He's, he's, uh, I, I, I don't trust him. And what worries me about him is, is his nature. Uh, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, it's like Hitler. No, Hitler had a plan. <laughs> Trump is a whimsical... Not, not whimsical in a comedy sense. Not like, oh, what are badges all about? Do they make... <laughs> Do they make taffy when they're in there? Oh, I was on a purple balloon the other day. I mean, like, genuinely does things on a whim. Like, he's a petulant guy. Like, if you look at some of his... He's also gay. He's got all that stuff going on, all that... Oh, yeah. And, and, and the hand, the hand thing. And the wise guy. Have you seen that? Shrugs like a wise guy. I don't know, boss. I, I wasn't there. 
No, Johnny took the money. It wasn't me. No, no, no. I, I picked up the rent. That's what you sent me there for. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Um, but his, his inaugural speech itself was, was quite bizarre. Because he started off um, being quite nice about the Obamas. Don't know if you saw that. He paid tribute to them. Just want to say thank you to Barack Obama and, and First Lady uh, Michelle Obama. The wonderful people. Been very nice to me. Very gracious. I thought this is nice because all of us kind of hope that he's going to be nice. And that is all we've got is some sort of deep human hope that hopefully he doesn't turn out to be a total cunt. <laughs> that is all it is. Just a vague hope actually in the very, in the very <laughs> atoms that hold him together. Because his character itself is so despicable. We can only hope that actually by God or by design, every human being has a sort of switch that will stop him doing it. That is all we've got, this sort of vague hope in him. But he, he, was, he was really nice. And he thought, you know what, this is, this is good. He then immediately slagged them off. And he, like, he, he paid tribute to them and then went, give him a round of applause, Michelle and Barack Obama, I, you know, I so much respect them, they're great. But let me tell you something, they feathered their own nest. <laughs> their victories were not your victories. Uh, their success were not your success. You're like, mate, he's the only incoming president who's treated it like a roast. <laughs> like a really bad best man speech. Yeah, great to see Barack Obama here. Yeah, I, I took Barack's mom to the cinema to see Jurassic Park. She's so old, she got flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible sort of way to behave. Uh, and he used a very odd phrase at one point. He said, we will unlock the mysteries of space. Like, uh, how come if the Earth is, uh, is round, how come Australians don't fall off the bottom of it? <laughs> Gen uh, no, I've seen it. I've been there. It doesn't happen, so... <laughs> What is happening? I don't know. We've got to figure this out. We've got to figure it out. We have. We're going to do that. We're going to get on with that. Do, do it faster than Obama did. So, <laughs> Such a sort of odd way of, uh, of speaking that he's got. And my favourite bit from his speech, he said, of all the promises, to, there are certain promises politicians should never make, and they should never be about how they're going to make other people feel. So you've got absolutely no control over that. And he said, I'm never, ever going to let you down. <laughs> No person should ever make that promise, let alone a politician. But he's the sort of guy, even if you went to him and said, you know what, Mr. Trump, you did, you did let me down. No, I didn't. You're a liar. I can prove I didn't. No. No, I didn't let you down. No, no, that, that, that was something else. No, 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 you're mistaken. And, and secondly, that's a Rick Astley lyric. <laughs> the most abiding thought I had throughout the whole thing, the whole pageantry of, a, of an incoming president addressing the mal around the world was, we do not do that here. Like we have pageantry around the royal family, but not around our elected politicians. If you think of the last three prime ministers, including this one, and how they looked when they came into office, <laughs> Theresa May, David Cameron at night, and Gordon Brown just sort of harrowed in the week. <laughs> like the way to become prime minister in this country is basically sort of slope up Downing Street apologetically and look really gutted to be there. <laughs> Really sort of fucked off and like, really sorry, it's me, but no one else is going to do it. And uh, Yeah, fairness, yeah, fairness. We all know that fairness is an issue, so I'm going to just crack on with that. But no promises, because we're fucked. So. The Americans can get away with stuff that we can't get away with. A lot of people, I think a lot of comedians busted their flush on George W. Bush, because I always quite liked him. And I always thought he had more of a political brain than people gave him credit for. Trump is a completely different monster. Bush was a, was a man of politics. He had it in his blood. Uh, and he'd studied. He, he wasn't stupid, but he understood something fundamental in American politics. American people love that folksy charm. You know, my mom says, uh, you know, got to say, you know, fool me once, 
shame on you, fool me twice. Can't do it again. <laughs> well, you know, all that shit. But people, in America, they love it. They, you know, Frank and, I don't know if people have watched House of Cards. Frank Edward, we got a scene down here in Iowa. No, that sort of shit. He can say anything. If a man can't handle Iowa in the cold, he can't handle himself. <laughs> Gibberish means absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's my guy. That's right. They love it. They, I love the ribs down there. And they'll go, oh, fucking great. I might just look like an old pickup truck, but I'll get you from A to B. Fucking <laughs> nonsense. Ah, oh, this is great. Imagine British politicians doing that. Yeah, we got a phrase up north. If you're from London, you're a cunt. <laughs> no, that's my guy, yeah. <laughs> Plain talking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a quick break. Uh, have a drink. As always, you've been lovely. I've been Matt Ford. See you in a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the... This feels a bit too far away from you, doesn't it? I'm t Is that a problem? <laughs> I can stay over here if you like. I was just going to move it there. Did it just shock you that I was moving it? I mean, I've never... <laughs> I've never sort of offered to move closer to an audience and have people sort of repulsed. <laughs> oh, no, stay over there, for God's sake. I've got her to get a front row seat. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, um, we always, I always try and get people uh, at various different stages of political careers. The last show that we had here was Paddy Ashdown, a man who was reflecting back on, a, on an illustrious political career and obviously could talk in a particular way. Um, I always think it's fascinating to get people at the start of their political careers as well. And tonight we have someone um, that potentially could go all the way and become Prime Minister of the country. She's someone who has huge potential and someone who... It blows my mind that Jess only became an MP less than a year and a half ago, or around that time, about a year and a half ago, and it, because it feels like already she's been around for so long, and I mean that in a good way. Um, she's got a phenomenal reputation, she's a star of various TV shows, and currently one of the most outspoken Labour MPs, well, one of the most out, outspoken MPs there are. Um, she is a fantastic politician, a huge personality. Please give a massive welcome to Jess Phillips. Not very lender. Well, come and see tonight. Very lender, but European, uh, while we still are. Hanging by a thread. Um, so, Jess, welcome to the show. Uh, were you in Prime Minister's Questions today? I wasn't. Why not? Oh, um, I don't go every week to Prime Minister's Questions. It gets to be sort of like you're bracing yourself, so... Yeah, I don't go all the time, I'm afraid. I know that, that I should, really. It's a massive privilege and everything. Um, <laughs> but um, I was busy, like, working. Well, that's like missing out on the cup final for me. Like, I only gave you a ticket to someone. <laughs> I do sometimes wish other people could go and have my seat in the house sometimes. Like, my constituents, that would be really excellent. Like, when they say, oh, could you raise with the Prime Minister that the skip is still not on next door's drive. Yeah. I'd like to really, like, let, you know, let Barbara go and say, oh, that'd be can cool. you have the skip shifted? Yeah. Oi, Teresa, <laughs> that skip's been on the front lawn for the past two years, right? Get it moved, back. get it moved, <laughs> I thought that was a good Birmingham accent. Black country, if we're being honest. But, You've you been know, on you moved to Birmingham enough. five years ago. I kept the accent. <laughs> Bab. Bab. Just keep saying Bab repeatedly Bab. Mom, and you'll Mom, be there. Bab. Mom, you say Mom. Um, it is hard to believe that you've been an MP for less than two years. You've made an immediate impact. Did, did you have a plan to become so 
so so visible? N not at all. I mean, I think that uh, just it, shocker being normal and having a personality means that you shine in Westminster. <laughs> um, not at all, not at all. And I mean, I came into politics at a perfect sort of moment for a person like me because the Labour Party doesn't have a line anymore. I don't have to deliver a line uh, ever. Um, no one ever tells me what to say or do at all. Um, and, I, you know, had we won the election, whilst I would be delighted for, you know, all the people who need a Labour government, it would have been, I would have had to, you know, stand and actually, like, sort of say, I'm really happy with this policy. <laughs> and I would have been terrible at that. So, you know, whilst crap for the country, quite good, you know, I suppose, for people who want to say what they actually think. So there is a sort of marginal benefit to opposition, but it, it must oh, be... Oh, it's marginal. <laughs> it's really marginal, that... It must be heartbreaking, really, if I could be directed to be part of a party that isn't going to win the next election. Well, it's t totally devastating. It's utterly, utterly devastating. And do you, in terms of your relationship with Corbyn, then, do you, do you ever say to him, this isn't working, mate? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and what does he say? Sometimes I text him. He tends only to respond to messages that are nice. Um... <laughs> Um, sometimes I get really cross and send really, really long text messages. Nothing. I once said that my son saw a picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi and thought it was him. And he was like that, oh, Merry Christmas to your children, responded to that, the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. Um, not so much about women in the party. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I talk to him all the time. We're actually really quite good friends. We're very friendly with each other. Um, so have you got your phone on yet? I have, but it's got no battery, I'm afraid. Oh, it died on the way here because I don't know London at all. So I'm one of those people who walks around with a map guiding me and it, it ruined my battery. So when you say you send him, like, aggressive texts, what, what's that? I, I wouldn't say aggressive. Well, what uh, um, well, I say things like, you know, or oh, if something's going wrong. It, it happens less, to be honest, now than it did before Corbyn 2.0 election. Um... When, when things were going wrong, specifically, I suppose, with issues around women in the party, I would just send him messages to say, you know, this is, this is disappointing, you need to be stronger on this, you need to, you know, I'm not happy about this. On one occasion, some of, one of my staff members was, uh, as she was leaving Parliament, was sort of spat at and um, shouted at by some these sort of Corbyn protesters, and I texted him and said, this is totally unacceptable. You, you know, we're meant to be the party of workers. Why are the young people who work in my office being treated this way? It's not as like they walk around with a, like, I'm Jess Phillips's caseworker written on them. Um, but So they were just indiscriminately shouting at any young person walking out of Parliament, which, you know, that's really shit. And, and he didn't reply? No. <laughs> and then... So you, t you send him that, you see that it's sent. Maybe and then he should reply to that one. I don't want to be unfair to him. Okay. I think that maybe he then put out a statement in the media saying, <laughs> we can't be, you know, be respectful of MPs, staff. And then maybe if a couple of days later he responded and said, I put out a very clear statement. I mean, it must be immensely frustrating um, because there was so much hope, whether you voted for Corbyn or not, there was, mm. there was a lot of hope around Jeremy Corbyn, a lot of hope on the Absolutely. left that would deliver... Um, a sort of kinder politics, yeah, up to yeah, big, yeah. big brand. Um, it's uh, gone well. 
he seems to have delivered the total opposite. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't, to be perfectly honest, I don't think you can blame Jeremy for that because he is not an unkind man. Um, but, yeah, it has been the total opposite. I mean, I, I get all sorts of really horrible, nasty stuff from within the party and, you know, I have to constantly report people who are members of the party for saying racist, sexist, violent things to me and that's not great. And how is Ken? (laughs) (laughs) We've never actually met. I really would like to sit down and have quite a stern word with Ken. But I've never met him, I don't think. It certainly didn't stay with me if I... I I just... I I do worry about the the state of the Labour Party, someone who cares about it and, and about politics, because... Not only for all the, the, the sort of the negativity and the senses, but it does seem that Labour has a specific problem now with the treatment of Jewish people mm-hmm. and women. And I think the Labour Party's had an institutional problem historically Definitely. with women um, uh, in terms of how to, in terms of treating them badly. Um, and uh, the Israel issue. I don't think it's new. It's just heightened. But it, but it's now expressing itself in a way that wasn't when I was a member of it. No. Uh, why is that? Do you think? But, at the same time as the Corbyn leadership? Um, well, I mean, I think that the Corbyn leadership has come at the same time as people being dicks on Twitter, um, <laughs> is the truth. Um, because there's a whole lot of that dickery going on across the world, whether it's Trump dicks or Corbyn dicks. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's... I think that the trouble is, is it is emboldened people that somebody who had previously potentially held some, I wouldn't say he ever held racist or anti-Semitic views himself, but had the specific views about America being an Israeli lobby and all of those sorts of things, that it it emboldens people to think that those are now mainstream views. Um, But, I mean, he has repeatedly tried to say, don't do it. But, you know, it's not working. I'm, I'm actually that... It, I don't get anywhere near as much as I used to, and maybe that's because I'm at peak block and I just can't see. You I mean, you tweeted at me today and I didn't get any horrible stuff, but maybe you did get some stuff back. But um, I think that it has calmed down because in the leadership elections, both of them, it's just a war of attrition, isn't it? And everybody's just been horrible to everybody else. So what happens in terms of the, the immediate future of the Labour Party? Does Corbyn definitely stay until 2020? I can't see um, a way that that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> potentially you could lose your seat as a result of that. Very, very potentially. Now, as the, as, but as the time nears, whenever that is, and it might be before 2020, does that resistance not grow more vocal and aggressive within the sort of moderate elements of the, of the parliamentary party? It, it can grow as much as it likes. <laughs> it, it won't make any difference. It makes it worse. It makes the war of attrition worse is the truth. So I can say you're going to cost me my seat till I'm blue in the face and what the people in the Labour Party who support Jeremy Corbyn will do is a round of fucking applause. They will be delighted if I lose my seat. But what's so odd about that is... I suppose Not you're... all of them, I hasten to add. Some of them are cracking. <laughs> <laughs> who are the cracking ones? Oh, I've got some lovely ones in my constituency. Really nice Corbyn supporters. I mean, there are less than there were. Um, but there are some really, really lovely ones. I mean, my dad's a bit of a Corb fan. Well, you said that you, growing up with your father, who's political, that actually was very much like Jeremy Corbyn. Worse. I mean, worse. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, but way more left-wing. Way more. Yeah, exactly. Is it possible? Like, what? I mean, my dad's not a member of the Labour Party anymore. It's not, it's not left-wing enough. He's not over the Blair thing. He'll never, ever get over yeah. it. I mean, I'm not... Clause the... 4. I mean, that is like... It's like daggers in his heart. The Clause 4 coming off the card. Like, anybody looks at the blinking card, who cares what's on the sodding card? <laughs> I'm not over the Blair thing, but in a very different way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've gone the other way. Um, but in terms of, it, it, when you say sort of worse than Corbyn or, or more hard left than Corbyn, are we talking like absolute total communism? No, he's, no. I mean, I think that he would resist the charge of being a communist, but, uh, you know, sort of very, very purist socialist. Very purist. He thinks Corbyn's giving in too much. Oh, I love it. That's so, oh, it's so funny, though, when left-wing people think that Corbyn's basically a Tory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wonder whether he was... Was it sort of like that sort of gentle, almost pastoral left-wing stuff, almost sort of like Church of England lefty, where it's, all yeah. very, it's, almost, it's quite poetic rather than economic? It's definitely poetic, my dad's, um, my dad's left-wingness, yeah. And it's, he's not... He's not Vicious, and what he what he found really difficult in the leadership elections were when people were having a go at me, yeah. and he kept saying, you know, had this been Tony Benn, that he, you know, I just don't he, I don't think it would have happened. There was a sort of command about Tony Benn mm. that that sort of told his people to pack it in, sort of thing. And he said it, he just doesn't he doesn't think it would have happened. But that's because you know he likes old things, so you know he probably he just like thinks it would have been better. I mean, I can't possibly say Tony Benn didn't live in a time of dickery on Twitter. Um, but yeah, my dad is a, it's very it's gentle. Although I've watched him get in a fight at a count. What? Oh when yeah, he's nearly been thrown out of quite a few election counts over the years. What about what? What was the issue? Just, you know, doesn't like Tories, so... <laughs> Him and my granddad used to, like, you know, tell them that they didn't like well, Go up to them in the hall. Oh, I think that it definitely used to get fiery, fiery in the 80s, yeah, yeah. And what sort of stuff would he say? Well, I couldn't possibly say. I was about seven. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, well, there's always a policeman at the count because things kick off. So, uh, I don't think that's my dad's fault. <laughs> it's not like a legacy issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he's, he, he's not, you know, he, his socialism is very much more the sort of gentler socialism rather than, you know, I don't think he wants us to start a revolution and take to the streets and kill all the Tories or anything. But he doesn't really like being near them. <laughs> Just beat a few up yeah. in Birmingham. I don't think he ever beat anyone up. <laughs> Uh, because w w what fascinates me about your relationship with, with the, the sort of Corbynistas or the left of the party now is that really, traditionally, or, or sort of pre-Corbyn, you'd be seen as on the left of the party, really. Oh, I'm a proper lefty. I mean, I'm, a, I'm really, like, you know, I left the party under Blair. I mean, I, I say that. Like, oh. my parents left and they were still paying my son. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there must have been a catch. So, and like, you know, I was having babies and a life. <laughs> so... I was just enjoying all of the benefits of a Blair government, but um, not supporting it, which is a bit like a Corbyn supporter. Um, you know, sort of public sector workers who got really wealthy under Blair and now really hate them. Um, hate themselves, guilty by their no longer working class roots. 
Um, so, so sorry if that describes anyone in the room. Um, but yeah, so I, um, but I am a proper lefty. I'm, I really believe in, like, really quite left with things like I believe in universal basic income. I believe in universe. I believe in the universality of benefits largely. Um, I believe in universal childcare for everybody, regardless. Um, I am definitely a proper socialist. I'm a radical feminist as well. So. so, in terms of Corbyn's policy agenda, would you say that actually you agreed with him? It's just that he's incompetent. Um, but I don't know what his policy agenda is very often. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree that we should think about uh, renationalising the railways. No two ways about that. However, I don't think we should do it at a massive cost to the taxpayer. So I don't think you can come in day one and just say we're going to take all these contracts off you, even though that's going to cost us, you know, 25 billion in legal fees. I, I'm, I'm a pragmatist and I became much more pragmatic when I worked in a women's refuge. And I, you know, I believe that domestic violence services, sexual violence services, rape crisis, counselling for children should be paid for by the state. But me believing it, won't make it happen. Me believing it and going on millions of marches, which I did when the Tories came to power in 2010, didn't make it happen. So I had to learn another way to skin that cat. So I have to, I will dance with the devil to make women and children safer. And that meant instead of going to the council, going to the lottery which my dad would repeatedly say is a poor man's tax. Um, and he's said it to me many times. He won't be getting any of the money when I win the lottery. I'm putting him in a crap care home. Um, for a poor man's tax. Um, and um, so, you know, I became pragmatic. I became, I realised that it's not about me. It's not about whether I feel good when I go to bed at night. It's about creating beds at night for people who don't have them. And so whilst I am a proper left winger, I'm also the ultimate pragmatist. And I used to hate the Tories. And now I will do anything that they want to get what I want through that house on women and children. And that's just life because it's not about me. And that is socialism. It's not about me. I felt like that deserved a round of applause, but... Um... <laughs> How then do you, do, you, do, you, do you sort of square that with Corbyn? Because he, we're led to believe, various sort of media reports around the UBI, around the universal basic income. Mm -hmm. um, that's a policy that he would support. Um, you could Is it, though? I'm not sure. Is it? They sort of floated it and they went, ooh, and float. People's quantitative easing. Uh, sort of printing money and handing it out? I mean, is that something you support, is that? <laughs> Economically, I'm not going to support just printing money and handing it out. Although, as an individual, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> uh, somebody wants to give me some money. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think that the trouble with Corbyn's policies is that they are invented on the hoof from long-held principles, but then the, the devil's in the detail. At, at the moment, though, we have carte blanche to do whatever we want because the Tories have announced... £500 billion pounds worth of borrowing for their infrastructure and, and industrial strategy. So, if they can do it, why can't we? Well, because Labour's not trusted. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I mean, I and that's, that's that. part of the problem is that even if Labour can make a sound economic case for borrowing, is that the sort of brand isn't there at the moment and the, and the leader isn't. No, no, um, that's true. Which, which is hard for 
uh, not just for the Labour Party, but I think anyone who cares about democracy wants to see a government held to account. I mean, I'm sure the Conservatives in the room will, will, will admit that this is a deeply frustrating period to see a fairly average Prime Minister mm. get away with it. I mean, when you see Theresa May, do you, do you see her as a, as a feminist? Do you think she's a, a feminist icon? I, I'm not going to judge her yet because I'm going to wait and see what she does with her policies. In the last autumn statement, still 87% or whatever it was was coming from women's pockets and all the infrastructure spending was being spent on men in hard hats no, nothing on women's jobs that was just at George Osborne. exactly <laughs> i mean he's getting loads i mean i don't think from the treasury to be fair i don't want to libel myself um but um i will wait and see i'm not going to say she can't be a feminist because she's a conservative but it's just being a woman in power isn't enough that's like saying sarah palin is a feminist and <laughs> that you know cannot be true surely to god but it does illustrate an issue between and the difference between the two parties um even if labor people feel like the labor party is, is instinctively the, the party of women's rights over the tories theresa may has that very neat line when she says what have we what have we done for women the Tories keep making us Prime Minister. And there is an issue that Labour's never had a female leader that's been elected. Obviously, Margaret Beckett had it temporarily. And Harriet. And Harriet. Twice. Temporarily. Um, but no woman's really ever come close to leading the Labour Party. No. Why, right. why is that? I think that there's all sorts of um, reasons um, that the Labour Party isn't... The reason Theresa May got there is not because she was a woman, it's because they are ruthless about power, the Conservatives, and they saw that they had to act very quickly to basically stop their own Corbyn disaster happening yeah. in the way of Andrea Leadsom. But that was two women still. I mean, yeah, true. She beat Gove, which is always good. <laughs> um, but um, I think that the Labour Party is structurally quite sexist. There's no two ways about it. Um, it is based on a principle of, you know, getting uh, the working classes up the ladder um, and making things better for the working man. And that culture has never died and it doesn't see at all I mean that's not true that it doesn't see at all because under Tony Blair's government there was a huge amount that was done for women in the country yeah, women yeah, like me yeah 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 alright alright <laughs> bloody Blairite scum um, we all are now <laughs> even Corbyn um, but um, you know, so there was a huge amount done in the in the sort of equalities piece. But it is sort of the last bastion that when people in the Labour Party largely close their eyes and imagine their prime minister, it is a white man. And you know, when Sadiq was running for mayor, the thing that everybody knows about Sadiq is that his dad was a bus driver, <laughs> and it is just that sort of like, look, the lad of a bus driver, he can get there. It's still we're still so rooted in that idea that the the idea of a woman leading the party just it's all sort of like just doesn't cross people's minds the labor party has to force the hand of its party members to elect women i think it's i mean i can say this now cuz i'm not a member of the party and i don't work for it anymore but when i worked for the labor party and would run local selections and parliamentary selections it was abundantly clear to me even early on in my 20s that the party was institutionally sexist mm. in effect that you've got this time lag from the industrial past 
there's a highly politicised older generation of predominantly men from pits and from mm-hmm. manufacturing and all the rest of it that just feel like it's their turn. We've always done it this way, lad. And we don't need any bloody new members coming here. When we say, why don't we try and get some new members? They'll go, bloody hell, shut up about new bloody members. <laughs> they're I bet they're loving it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But they, don't, they didn't want men or women. It was just the way they'd always done it. And it was these blokes who ran the party above the working men's club with a few pints. And that, that is, that's very hard to break because they've got the numbers, as we know with Corbyn. In the, in the end, politics is about numbers. Um, so the Labour Party did is... break it, didn't they? The Labour Party did attempt to break with it all with all women's shortlists. They recognised the structural problem and came up with a structural solution. But then you could... Do you then say for the leadership that you have to automatically shortlist a female candidate? You're damn straight we do. That's what I think. I think that we should have... It should have to be a woman. The next one should have to be a woman. So of the people that could conceivably do it now, who would your candidates be? So oh, I'm stuff. not going to play the who would my candidates be. Uh, oh, but if you said it's got to be a woman, then... Oh, then I can just pick one woman off the top no, no, of my no, head. No, 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 it's a squad. A squad, uh, like, so, so a squad oh, yes, OK, I like the sound of a squad. Yeah. Um, there are many women who could do it. So, I mean, I know Liz stood last time, but she, I thought she was brilliant and took, had massive balls for giving it a go. Um, and, Which would uh, rule her out. Would rule her out. <laughs> I don't know. Things are weird these days. Um, so, and I think that there's uh, other good young women who are coming up, um, like Lou Haig is really brilliant, and people who are, you know, what the thing about Tony Blair is that nobody saw him coming, and it was literally like, you know, sort of, I don't think the country was expecting it. Um, so it is very, very difficult to tell. And I think some of the older generation of Labour women, A, wouldn't want to do it anymore, mm. um, is the truth. Or, like Yvette, who I think is great, um, I think that, you know, she, she's done her bit of being sort of pilloried for the fact that she stood against Jeremy Corbyn. So then you're looking at maybe the next generation, Alison McGovern, Ruth Smith. Oh, yeah, Alison McGovern, she can be the leader. I mean, she won't thank me for saying that if it gets into the news. <laughs> um, what I was really driving at was, was Jess Phillips. Oh, I can't say, well, I should be the leader of the Labour Party. What a massive douche I'd be then. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, <laughs> but it was your childhood ambition to be Prime Minister. Yeah, but they all children say that, don't they? No. <laughs> My children say it all the time. I'm like that, you boys. Forget it. <laughs> but, I mean, is there part of that ambition that still flickers and burns? Um, I think that it's, it's not, at the moment, a job I'd particularly want. It seems... Like, I'm not, I, I don't find it easy to be very controlled with my opinions, which I, re- I recognise that Donald Trump just became the president, so maybe it's a winning formula. Um, yes! But, yeah, where will I build my wall? <laughs> um, the, but the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, I, at the moment, I would still want to go and dance to R&B in the pub with my mates on a Saturday night and... <laughs> And not have to have, you know, the terrible control over your life. So, at the moment, I don't think I'd put myself forward. But maybe one day, when I've drunk enough and danced to enough R&B. There's only so many times you can dance to 90s R&B. Yeah, in the 90s. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll have you know the 90s is back. (laughs) I wish it It was. was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But one day, yeah, why not? I mean, maybe one day. But don't you think there's something in that whole I thing? I hold my seat first. But there's, but there, well, there's that. Um, but 
that whole thing of wanting to go to the pub and dance to R&B, like, part of Corbyn's attraction was that he wasn't the sort of Westminster identikit. Part of Trump's attraction and Farage is that they don't. And actually, I think people have misunderstood what authenticity is. Mm. And they think it's just anything that's not uh, a particular generation of politician that cares about stuff. The idea that Liz Kendall is inauthentic is something uh, that I completely disagree with. It's terrible. Uh, or indeed Yvette Cooper. Mm. But people are looking for something that is still professional and is intellectual and is coherent, but that just shows a bit of humanity, mm. even if it is dancing to shit music. So, <laughs> I'm very dirty. <laughs> so what sort of R&B then? Well, mainly like really sort of cheesy 90s R&B, so you sort of... Your TLC, yeah, yeah, salt and pepper. I mean, you could put it on now and I'd dance like a crazy person. Sort of <laughs> salt and pepper is absolutely brilliant. Push it. Push it. Um, you, you know, just all, all really crap 90s R&B. You name it, I like it. I mean, I'll dance around to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme tune if, <laughs> if, if you know, the, the feeling takes me. <laughs> Mystique? Bit late. Bit late okay, for me. Okay, so you really do. Oh, I cut off in the nineties. Yeah, I really do. But I, I was like having babies in the year two thousand. I wasn't listening to music. I don't. I don't know any cultural references before, after two thousand and five, when my first son was born. I just gave up on modern culture at that point. And was that was 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 the birth prior to or after the two thousand and five general election? It was literally about eight days afterwards. Oh, amazing. Mm. Oh, what a week. What, what a week. <laughs> what, a week what, what a week and a bit. And my second son was born the day of Barack Obama became the president. Oh. Political I mean, you've really, babies. You've really got to time the next one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never having another baby, ever, ever. The last one was £10, 10 ounces. Oh, my God. And his placenta weighed £6. Jesus. Yeah, so the first one was 8, 8, second one was 10, 10, so the next one will be 12, 12. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, I mean... He's massive. Like if, he, <laughs> like, if he like walked up to you, like you know, and sort of gave him the shoulder, you'd be over. <laughs> Definitely, he's a massive kid. He's only eight. <laughs> Are they getting into politics? Uh, my older one um, really, really loves politics, and he has just gone to secondary school. Um, so he and like they were doing in this first term, they were doing politics, and they actually read a book about a kid who missed his mom because she was away being an MP. And I feel kind of like they did that for him on purpose, but I don't know. Oh, look at this uh, book yeah. we just found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but the younger one, not interested at all, apart from he does love Barack Obama because he thinks he's his president. But he is uh, like that. He's like mine because it was the day he was born. But I was watching the inauguration the other day and I was like shouting at the TV. And Danny ran in and was just like, stop watching this, and then turned on just a video of Peregrine Falcons. It was like, let's watch Peregrine Falcons. That's how interested he is in uh, in in politics but the younger one definitely he really likes it and, and do you the think, older one rather will you sort of foster that in them or do you, do you sort of feel a need to protect them from it um i would foster them in them um but i do i feel the need to protect them from my political career sometimes because it can get vicious and violent um and you know, they used to be on the photos and leaflets and stuff when I was a councillor, but my husband drew a very serious line um, a couple of years ago and just said it's not okay for them to be on anything anymore because it's okay when they're little and they look cute. 
But when they're teenagers getting pissed and falling around in the street or, you know, it's not great for them to be followed by journalists and things. So uh, my husband had a very strict line. Uh, during the referendum campaign, um, the last speech before the vote was done in Birmingham. It was at Birmingham University. And I had to take my kids with me. And David Cameron was there. And I was going, look, it'll be really historic. Please come with me. And they were like, no. So I had to go and see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 or something <laughs> afterwards as on a promise that they would come and do this thing with me. And they were on ITV News, but not... Ne they wanted desperately to be on the news, but they were nowhere near me, so people wouldn't have been able to identify them as being my children. But uh, So I do try and protect them from it. But they're interested. They come to Parliament all the time and hang out. Are they to the left of you, to the right? Oh, well, all kids are like left-wing Green Party members, aren't they? <laughs> they all care about the trees. And, you know, like little kids. There's like a little Green Party member in every child. Um... <laughs> Except Danny, I think he's to the right of me. He's he's like a nihilist, burn it all down sort of kid. Sex, if you've got two momentum kids in your house, like they've got majority. You've got to be careful. Oh, they, they would never overrule my husband, who's not a member of the Labour Party, and not at all. He's not a Tory. He's more left-wing, I think, than the Labour Party, but not like he hates all this momentum crap. He hates political parties altogether. I can sort of see where it's coming from these days. It's, um, <laughs> which is sad, you know, but you, it, it all looks like so much fuss. I mean, do you ever think, like Tristram Hunt and Jamie Reid have, mm -hmm. I'm going to do something else? I do miss my old job, I'm not going to lie. Um, I miss, um, like, not getting in trouble all the time with the media. Um, that was nice. Um, but I miss, actually, I felt like I could actually change more things before... Um, and I used to be in the Home Office um, sort of telling them the best way to have policy and the Ministry of Justice. I mean, rarely they listen to me, but um, now I, I sometimes feel I have less direct impact on people's lives, apart from all the casework that you get to do. But um, no, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't go now. Uh, if somebody, I mean, I'd really like the V&A gift shop. But uh, it's like the best gift shop ever. Um, but no, I mean, I can't imagine the job someone could offer me that would make me go. I can't imagine, you know, that, so there isn't a job that I would want to do more than the one I'm doing at the moment. Well, challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> Can't then offer me a really good job. Anyone in the room or indeed listening at home <laughs> would uh, offer Jess Phillips a job. I mean, are you aware of any other parliamentary colleagues that are saying... I'm, gonna get out of here, I'm not. I'm not. There were some rumours going round that somebody was, but I don't. I don't think that's never materialised, and I don't know who it was. So no, I don't. And did you get wind of Jamie and Tristram? Or I got wind of Tristram about forty minutes before he announced it, which I don't really think counts. Uh, I mean, obviously, I pretended I knew, um, but no, I had no idea about Jamie at all. Because the Tristram Hunt, Stoke, is, is next door, really, yeah, to, not to far Birmingham. from me, yeah. Um, affected by similar things, um, but white working class, mm -hmm. council estate area. Mm -hmm. This is exactly the sort of place that UKIP are trying to target. Paul Nussel himself is, is standing there. Honestly, do you think UKIP can win it? I think they could win it, yeah. Well, whether they will, I, I, I just genuinely don't know. And I'm going on Saturday, so I'll get a better idea of the feeling. But... You, you know, it's not it's not beyond the bounds of reason, is it, that they might win? Absolutely not. But that is that is then a, a shock. That's a genuine shockwave, isn't it? Through specifically Labour support in England, Midlands and North. 
I don't know, because by-elections are weird things, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think that the air war that goes on in a general election does make different things happen. So the Corby seat is a really good example. So Corby, when Louise Mensch went off to America, it went Labour, and then literally 18 months later, it, it went Tory again. Um, so it would, be a, it would be a shock, and it would start to feel, I suppose, like it was going to be a bit like what happened in Scotland. But I just don't think UKIP have enough, A, sane people. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's rich coming from a lady. <laughs> Fair. Um, Which party does? <laughs> um, enough, yeah, but they're really batshit. Um, I mean, I was on the telly with Paul Nuttall on Sunday and he was all like, oh, Labour's not very united. I was like, can I remind you of the man who punched another man in UKIP and he ended up in hospital for four weeks. I'll not take lectures from you. Thank you very much, Paul Nuttall. Um, but, um, yeah, that, and I just don't... I don't know that they... Because once Brexit's happening and immigration controls in the, in the, within um, the single market could be stopped, I don't know what they've got. What they're just like beer. I'm not sure that is. I don't. I genuinely don't know what their cell is. They don't like the NHS. They like punching. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what their cell is. So I think they would struggle. (laughs) Quite attractive bid, but there is an issue, isn't there? Though that that there's Nuttall sort of embodies a type of UKIP that perhaps Farage didn't, and there's an issue perhaps with the white working class in England Mm -hmm. that they and, and in Wales that they might look to the right. For their answers instead of looking to sort of Corbyn's left. And that's a totally fair argument. I think we un- undermine the working classes if we just say, oh, they're putting up a working class man, so they'll just, everybody will just fall in line with voting for a working class man. That isn't how, in my experience, it, it works. Um, but I, I think the whole Nuttall presents something that Farage didn't is a slightly flawed idea because Farage was really, really, really popular with white working class people. So even though he's clearly an establishment shyster. Um, so it, I, and, and Trump at the same. But it's about what people perceive the establishment to be, isn't it? Yeah. So in, in political terms, Farage is anti-establishment in, in, for the people that voted for him because they perceive the establishment to be sort of politically correct centre ground mm-hmm. that the BBC and the mainstream media are sort of complicit in and Labour, the Tories and the Liberal Dems fit into that, as do the SNP. Mm. So to, to UKIP voters, actually, Farage is anti-establishment. He was saying things that other people wouldn't say. They were horrendous, but <laughs> nevertheless, it wasn't anti-establishment through sort of wealth, but in terms of political attitude, he, he absolutely was. It's just like the really terrible housemate in Big Brother who goes around just saying, I've got to be true to myself, you're a massive <laughs> bitch. And everyone's like, I've just got to be honest, I've got to always be honest. You're not being honest, you're being an absolute prick. <laughs> There's a difference between being honest and being really mean. And Farage was really mean. He, I'm sure, doesn't believe in half of the things that he actually said, just like Trump doesn't believe. Trump has actually lived a relatively liberal existence. He's from, he's from the east coast of America. He, he, he said those things because they were workshopped, because they worked. This is the, a complete and utter lack of authenticity they did it because it worked they don't believe half of those things they are totally fake but then the challenge and this is something that really has has come up in every interview 
sort of in the last year or so is how does the centre ground and specifically the left beat people like Trump, Farage and why couldn't it win the European debate? Well, I think the European debate on the Remain side became too much about numbers and you're going to lose this much, £18, and people off, you know, your weekly shop or you're going to, each family's going to be £600 off worse a year. And when people already feel like they're worse off anywhere, they think in for a penny, in for a pound. Like when you're buying a house, you just like, people start waving huge amounts of money around that this is going to cost, this is going to cost. And because you're spending so much money, you go, oh, whatever. And it's a bit like that when you're losing so much money, you could, you know, the first time people voted to be economically disadvantaged mm. was because they're economically disadvantaged anyway in for a penny in for a pound so the reason that the, and, and the arguments on the Remain side were too technical about the money. It was never... And they were also... They were really negative about Europe. They were like, oh, you know, we know it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we like buying cheese. Or, it was like really like that lame. Nobody was like really sticking up for Europe. And David Cameron had slagged off Europe. I mean, my husband was genuine, who's a passionate... Remainer and who said, if you vote to trigger Article 50, don't come home. Um, <laughs> so I'll not be going home. Um, but the, you know, he said, I almost want to vote Leave because it's David Cameron fronting it up. So that is a, was, was a real problem. So how we get around that? I mean, genuinely, I think that we have got to be more approachable, more honest, sound like people sound and actually be authentic and Corbyn did do some of that but it's it's not like enough people in the country it's enough like enough Labour Party members Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I want to... You mentioned Article 50 with, this, with the whole sort of debate that's... I know, I know, I know, we won't stand it for long. But I think people in the country feel torn about what precisely the referendum outcome means. Obviously, it means we leave the European Union, but mm-hmm. the customs union and the, and the single market and all that. Yeah. Where do you stand on, on what Brexit actually means? <laughs> so tempting, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think that... It, what it will mean, what the Conservatives will do, and so far that, you know, I don't know why everyone was shocked when she made that speech last week. There wasn't anything in it that I hadn't expected. Um, it will mean leaving the single market, and it will mean having to renegotiate all the tariffs and trade agreements across the world. 
um, at a time when world trade agreements are literally like being thrown around like bombs um, with Trump, China all kicking off. Um, and so I think that, you know, I actually think that if that's what happens, then Britain will be worse off and we'll potentially have tariffs going, selling and buying goods in the, into the single market, the biggest market in the world and that's really dangerous so whilst I will vote to trigger article 50 because you know I'm a democrat and also because so many of my constituents voted for it it would be it would be wrong of me not to I will not just allow I will not vote on a final agreement that doesn't give us tariff free access to the single market do you think Corbyn's right to to whip labor MPs I'm not sure oh. if he is. No one has whipped me. <laughs> Literally nobody has asked me how I'm going to vote. Um, that's why I'm telling you, good people. It's like therapy. It's like being in the whip's office. Um, with slightly better gags. Um, slightly? slightly? I don't know. Alan Campbell is, can be really quite hilarious. Um, but the... Yeah, no, I mean, I... I He's trying to show resolve, I suppose, um, and he's got a really difficult task. I'm not going to slag off Jeremy Corbyn in this regard because he, Labour voters um, are completely torn. Mm. I mean, in the South, people want to not trigger Article 50 in the North. People want to trigger Article 50. Um, it's the only thing I've had as many emails about that could ever compare with fox hunting, the number one topic of the people of Birmingham Yardley. Um, How many emails are you getting on fox hunting? Oh, thousands. So is that is that people agitating to lift the ban or people trying, no. to, people trying no. to keep the ban? Yeah, keep the ban, keep the ban. That and bees, very popular. <laughs> Neonicotinoids, they're killing those bees. I don't know what they are. Oh, bees, they're, they're a bit like wasps, but they carry pollen. Um, so Fox Hunting, that's obviously part of a coordinated campaign by the League Against Cruel Sports or something like that, or are these just individual people? No, it's just, you know, 38, uh, 38, degrees. 38 degrees, yeah. As an MP, how do you view things like 38 degrees? I actually don't mind it. Um, I, I know a lot of MPs really, really dislike it because it is, I mean, sometimes when you get back to people with your very heartfelt concerns and a letter from the minister as they have requested to you and they say, why are you sending me this? it does get slightly irritating that people don't realise that they're clicking that thing that sends you a million emails. And they're like, I don't care about bees, why have you sent me this? It's like, because you wrote me an email that said you cared about it. Um, so that is a bit irritating. But no, I mean, I actually think it's really good and people are much more engaged in politics because of it. And I think it works. I use um, online surveys and things to build collective action where I um, live. So yeah, I think it works. So with fox hunting, how, how would that sort of directly affect your constituency? I'm not sure, but grouse shooting was another big one. <laughs> um, another big one. I'm not really sure. I don't think we have a local hunt lodge in East Birmingham. <laughs> Do you? I mean, I've never been invited along. All MPs get various things from special interest groups yeah. and people with a specific axe to grind. <laughs> Are there any sort of weirder campaigns or individual grants? Recently, there was some stuff about like uh, like people, like the porn industry, and some some of my constituents got in touch with me about how, and actually they weren't my constituents, so people from elsewhere about how porn was going to be like made nicer for women or like you know less like garroting of women, and they felt that this was an affront on freedom of. Uh, 
They were against it. They were against it. They think we shouldn't, you know, it's the last fashion. We shouldn't be controlling porn. <laughs> Let them get on with porn. So there were people, some people sticking up for violent porn, which I found really, really entertaining. And the other thing is, um, especially because I'm their MP, uh, I'm the MP that they've come to, it's just like, just, just Google it, Mum. <laughs> I'm definitely not for that. And sometimes when people come into my um, surgeries, and uh, they will ask me, like, um, like you know, they'll say, you know, I've been in prison because, like, I like beat up my wife, but I really want to see my kids. And I just think, yeah, I'm the woman to help you with that. <laughs> I, I mean, the, Not now. The porn thing is such an odd... So the, I, mean, I got quite a few emails about the porn thing. I don't think they were from my constituents. They were from, you know, some people write an email to all the MPs. If anyone here has ever done that, literally no one reads it. But just, don't write it to everyone because you don't know who it's for. But just the idea of someone sort of sat there watching porn, going, well, this has been toned down. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to just stop what I'm doing. <laughs> Email my local MP about it. Right, back to the action. <laughs> I just find it absolutely, I mean, you get absolutely oh! brilliant emails. You do get some absolute corkers. But imagine you should invite them into the office. Yeah, I really want to hang out with them. Face to face. Now, what's the problem with the porn you've been watching? <laughs> I don't know, I just like it when it's like spicy, you know. <laughs> I was with Frank Skinner. Who is from Smedic, not Birmingham. I just like a good orgy. <laughs> <laughs> I almost asked Frank, not myself. <laughs> make that clear. Um, you must, I mean, you encounter all sorts of people locally, obviously. You, you also encounter uh, interesting people in politics, and you've had a, a couple of look at them run-ins or showdowns. Mm-hmm. With My favourite one was, was Diane Abbott, um, who I think you're told to fuck off. <laughs> I did, yeah. So what happened? <laughs> I mean, not that it, it, not that it would need justification, but um, <laughs> but what happened in this? I mean, specific it's case? really not that exciting because she just interrupted me and tried to be a bit rude to me when I was having a conversation with somebody else. So it wasn't like I was singled around. People have been like, "Oh, you walked down the corridors and you just started shouting at her." I was in a conversation and she came over and tried to sort of have a go at me, and I was in the middle of a conversation, so I told her to. And what what, had, what was she interrupting you with? Was it something? I was I was actually having a really pleasant conversation with Jeremy Corbyn. It was like a, a nice conversation. It was the first time I'd met him, yeah. um, and I'd stood up at the Parliamentary Labour Party to say that I felt very sad that on the day that Jeremy and this isn't Jeremy Corbyn's fault. On the day he was elected, every single person on the platform who spoke was a man, and every person who was elected was a man. And I stood up in the PLP and I said, you know, we've got to do something about this because I feel like I've arrived back at the house I've lived in all my life and the doors, the locks have been changed and my furniture's all out the front because I don't live here anymore. This party doesn't look like me. And I'd said that at the Parliamentary Labour Party. And obviously that was the first time I'd ever met him. He'd just been become the leader. And so I walked up to him at the end to say, oh, you know... I, let, let's try and work together sort of thing on making this better. I know it's not your fault. And he was saying, oh, you know, my mum was a big feminist and we were having a nice conversation. So, but she didn't like what I'd said, so she does. And what, what was her sort of line of attack? What did she say? She said, you're not the only feminist in the Labour Party. Oh. And what did, what, did, what did Jeremy do? <laughs> he went like... <laughs> <laughs> 
To be fair, she did leave straight after. So, um, so you know, I mean, he just was like, oh, you know, don't don't worry, sort of thing. He was, he was, it wasn't. He, he was carried on talking to me. So she just comes home and goes, well, Jess, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not the only. <laughs> I don't know what. It's sort of like an old feminist. Oh, that impression got worse. I got a really good start, and you just said off. Oh, well, I just was, like, interrupted, you know. Yeah. I was just like, oh, sort of go away. I'm t- it's not about you. I'm talking to... I'm Jessa. trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. And since then... I've you... never met I've never met her before. Oh, she'll never forget I it. I mean, if somebody... If anyone else had come up, it wasn't Diane. If, if, if McDonnell had come over and said, oh, you know... I, I mean, I'm not going to try and do it. <laughs> He doesn't really have a very distinctive voice. He's got, I'll tell you what oh, he's, he's got. got what, what camera am I bloody on here? <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's, he's a man who wants to scream. <laughs> really trying to not bloody scream. <laughs> let, let me t- no, I'm calm. We're, we're calm, we're fine. If we're fine. Got... Let, me just, let me just, Mr. Speaker. Can I just, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> what bloody camera am I on here? Let me just. You've made yourself Yorkshire when he's from Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got that kind of bloody hell, I'm going to You're right about his demeanour. But, um, yeah, if he'd come over and been like, oh, you know, you shouldn't have said that, he's just been the leader, I would have told him to fuck off as well. <laughs> so if, It wasn't aimed specifically at her. She was the one who interrupted. So it was. Well, you know, but, you know, it wasn't because I hate Diane Abbott no. or anything. But it, in terms of your relationship with her now, have you sort of seen her around since? Oh, I see her around, yeah. And what, do, does she ever say well, No, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> there's lots of people I don't talk to. There's a lot of MPs there, you know. Yeah. But then there are others that you... Not talking to someone that you don't know is different to sort of not healing a sort of situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, true. True. <laughs> <laughs> so, McDonald, what, do you ever encounter him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with him last night, actually. Um, I realised I held quite a lot of power in my hands because I was walking out about 10... Um, what day was it yesterday? Tuesday. So, the vote... What day is it today? Is it Wednesday? This is Wednesday, Westminster. Yeah. It's a genuine bubble where I don't know what day of the week it is. Um, so, the vote was... Um, whatever time the vote was going to be, and it was sort of late and we were walking out. No, it was, must have been Monday because it was really late. It was like 10 to 10. And he said to me, he was walking down to go and vote and I was going to leave, and he said, is there a vote? And I just said, no, there isn't a vote. <laughs> but, there, but there wasn't. We were on a one-line whip. And I said, I think we're on a one-line whip. And he said, oh, well, I'll blame you if we go. So, uh, and then we walked out to the tube station together. I think that's the most we've talked to each other. But then I thought, and it was about, like, local government finance. So I could have, like, stopped him voting on local government finance, which would have got me in a lot of funny. trouble. <laughs> but got me in a lot of trouble, yeah. But it, what are PLP meetings like now? Because there was a period where it was the hottest ticket in town. And now I was thinking, like, a Labour Party fundraiser, you could sell tickets and I've, popcorn. I have begged... Various MPs to like sneak me in, and I reckon I could get into one. The amount of journalists who've asked me to record it, but you, apparently it's not hard. You just sort of oh, you could easily, just... you could easily record it. Yeah, I bet people don't know. I don't think. Well, I've never heard a recording of it because actually, sometimes you read accounts of those meetings yeah. and they sound really, really fantastic. And mostly, I was playing Tetris throughout because <laughs> <laughs> they are much more boring than. It, it reads in the newspaper. I mean, much more boring. But the, they did get quite tense for a while. 
And what was what was that like? That must have been quite a thrill to sort of get there early with your packed lunch and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember me and Stella Creasy once sitting on the floor, like, because there was nowhere to sit <laughs> and, like, all these baronesses, like, surrounding you. Um, and... You know, I think that was just after the vote of no confidence or just as that was being moved. Um, but, I mean, it's not like I'll be able to write some really brilliant memoir about it because I could mainly just, like, see the legs of baronesses. <laughs> so I can't get the atmosphere in the room right. But now it's just sort of business as usual now. Did you ever get involved in any of the sort of kerfuffle? Well, I mean, I, I think I was... This going to sound terribly arrogant... I was the originator of the speaking your mind in the PLP because I was in the very first one. I stood up and said, as I've said, what I, how disappointed I felt. And somebody else said to me, "Oh, you like broke this spell where we've all been thinking things maybe in Ed Miliband's time and just not saying them." And then it was like a blinking flood, wasn't it? <laughs> like everybody's telling their opinions all the time. Um, but I've never, I never got involved in any. And actually, once again, I think the media reports it strangely that, that there was actual shouting. I read this one account where we'd all bullied him until he was crying. I was like, <laughs> that, that, just, that is that is an alternative fact. Yeah. Um, nobody, you know, he's never cried. He always handles himself, you know, fine. He's never looked even marginally got sweat so and it's not like people are shouting it is a big room yes and if you're at the back you do have you have to shout if you're john man who's always at the back you have to shout to get yourself heard so and how does he because some of the reports say and i've talked to mps in there that just say he doesn't even sort of acknowledge that people are annoyed he'll be this close to an mp who's agitated and we just sort of look at them when they're finished he'll just then sort of look elsewhere like he doesn't say look i understand that some of you're annoyed is that true? Does he ever address the disquiet? I mean, I, I think he he does say things like, you know, I could understand that there's problem. Well, maybe let's try and phrase this right. He does he doesn't sort of ignore that people are upset about things, um, but he is um, amazing as well. At, he's like sort of like Terminator esque at sort of not letting it get to him. <laughs> Uh, nice speech, Jess. <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. My God, he's he 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 could definitely do that. You could like say to him, I could sit sit next to him and just be like, for God's sake, man, what on earth was that like at, at PMQs today? This is an absolute shit show. And he would be like that. Do you want a tea? <laughs> 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 well, yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 an incredible strategy, isn't it? And what's the mood like on the backbench when you're behind him then? Because traditionally, obviously, MPs support the person that's in front of them. Yeah. The, the deafening silence when he's called to his feet is so noticeable now. Um, amongst the MPs that you sit with, is there some muttering throughout? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is it um, just a sort of run, running commentary? Like, oh, God, I think, gosh. again, that's got better. Um, because I think, yeah, there was, there was... I mean, there was one time when he actually... He sort of had a go at us from the dispatch box, and that was like people like actually started to shout then. But I mean, the trouble is, is at PMQs, no matter whether you think he's doing a good or bad job, you still hate them and what they're saying. Mm. So that sort of passion, when it's you're opposite each other, takes over from from that. I think that one thing everybody mutters is when he goes on too long. It's like yeah. finish, 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 like more. False endings than Lord of the Rings. It's like, <laughs> stop talking. And he looks so, a bit like Gandalf. <laughs> um, 
You say that you hate them, and that's really interesting, because that's a phrase you've used a few times, and obviously um, I'm sure plenty of people would have seen the, the kind of um, videos you made with Jacob Rees-Mogg. I love Jacob Rees-Mogg. Well, and you say to me, you know, I was brought up to hate Tories, and he just sort of laughs, and goes, oh, well, Yeah, and, I mean, and, and I love takes him. takes it so well. I mean, it's, the, it's because he is genuinely the politest man on earth. He's a bit like Jeremy Corbyn. I could just say, your, your children just aren't worth as much as mine. My children are better than yours. Your children are ugly. And he would just go, would you like a lift anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that because he's got utterly charming children and yeah. another one on the way has got like a hundred children. You speak with remarkable clarity and I, that's always to be respected. Isn't it lovely? I don't know if people were here for... Have you ever had him here? He was amazing. Oh, he is amazing. He that's was brilliant. Right. But I then bumped into him at, at Lord's Cricket Ground. Of course. At, about six months later. You won't ever bump into me at Lord's Cricket Ground. No, well, you shouldn't really bump into me at Lord's Cricket <laughs> Ground, but I had a free ticket. And uh, I was just hammered, drunk. And uh, I saw him in like his cricket tie and his hat with his really posh mate and said, Jacob, how you doing, mate? You all right? And he went, oh, Matt. And like brought his mate over. And, like The moment I'd said Jacob, I thought, I shouldn't have done this because I'm absolutely hammered. Oh, this is my friend Matt. He's a comedian. <laughs> All right, don't fucking say it like that. Say it like you mean it, mate. Uh, two pints of Pims on the go, go, hello, mate. Uh. I love him. I, l I love him, and him and Nicholas Soames argue over which one of them is my favourite. Old guard Tory. Um, I, I, he's just a really, really nice man. I don't agree with almost anything he says. I think we once tried to come up with the things we had in common and his his, his assistant, because uh, we were in his constituency, his assistant um, led with abortion. She said maybe you both agree on abortion. I was like that. He's like a Catholic conservative and I'm a radical feminist. That's not the place to start the Venn diagram of what me and Jacob agree on. She's just doing it alphabetically. <laughs> yeah, abortion, only... birth control. No. <laughs> the only thing we, we agreed on was um, we both wanted Scotland to stay as oh. part of the UK. So, um, you that, read Tory. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, so, but I, I just really like him and I don't hate the Tories. I, I like them much, much, much more than um, not my own side, which is obviously what it seemed like I was going to say. <laughs> I like them much more than I did before I had to work with them all every day, every day because I didn't really in my life come across many conservative even voters before because my family just I mean honestly my dad would rather I married literally an axe murderer so like we didn't mix with them and I like worked in the charity sector in the black country so I certainly didn't meet any there um and so it was a shock to me when I got to parliament and I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes I still get really, really like... And I will shout a lot in the, in the house when I don't agree with them and they say really stupid things. Um, but most of them are... They went there to be... To do exactly what I went there to do, is the truth. They wanted to make the world a better place and they worked really, really hard. Their idea of a better place is obviously better, well, not the same as mine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I quite like them and you have to work with them. They're in power. They've got all the power. But that's, quite a, that's quite a swift mm -hmm. leg of the journey to go on from elected mid-2015 to already, probably even within a few months realising that a lot of Tories were pragmatists and, and that, 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 mm -hmm. that was changing. Do you think 
do you think? In, 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 a, in a sense, you're sort of drifting right quite swiftly. <laughs> no, I'd never walk the floor. I mean, um, I don't think I've drifted right. If anything, it's made me more left-wing because they say, like, actual joke Tory things. What like, um, oh, just really, you know, they, they constantly talk about, like, a nice little day school. And I thought all schools were open in the day. Um, <laughs> so I'm just, you know, they, and the grammar school thing, they, like, really salivate over the grammar school thing. And they're really... Uh, you know, yesterday a bloke actually tried to stop striking. He put a bill in front of Parliament to stop people in the public sector being able to strike. And so they do really, really like really Tory things that remind you that they are the baddies. Um, but um, but they are. I mean, some of them are a proper laugh. Yeah, and yeah. Jacob is a proper laugh. And Nicholas Soames, the other day, was giving me, like, diet advice about eating Muller yogurts. He's um, Oh, my God, he's, like, literally a quarter of the man he used to be. And he was saying, what you've got to do, you've got to eat moolah yogurts. Two moolah. <laughs> <laughs> Two moolah yogurts. You stick with me. And I just thought... Like, if, like, when I was a kid, someone had said to me, Churchill's grandson yeah. will give you dieting advice. <laughs> it's just, like, that is epic. Uh, and he says hilarious things all the time. He is genuinely hilarious. Um, so, yeah, they're nice. They're, some of them, uh, you know, are really horrible and they say stupid things about women. Uh, but that happens on my side, too. Well, yeah. Um, what one thing I do, I sort of... Really admire in a, in a and it seems to be specifically sort of conservative men that have this thing of talking with total certainty of something they know absolutely nothing. Oh I can't know. And they say, if you, I mean, take for instance the minimum wage. A lot of people don't actually want it. <laughs> what? What? No, 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 no. Because if they're paid more, it causes problems. Now I have spoken to they these absolutely people. Absolutely. Oh, they, I've heard people say that, and all of them don't actually do. want it. No. I just, it, it, it confuses them. <laughs> I mean, on one occasion in the tax credit debate, um, this one Tory stood up and he was like, well, I had these women who worked for me and the tax credits meant that when I offered them a pay rise, they said, oh, boss, don't give us a pay rise because it will mean we lose our tax credits. So tax credits are stopping ambition. And so I just stood up and said, well, A, you're obviously a miser. Give them a bigger tax um, pay rise um, because if your staff are having to claim tax credits, you're probably not paying them very well. Uh, and I was just like, you know, how dare you say that it stifles ambition when I got the exact same fancy job that you got, pal, and I lived on tax credits for six years, so up your bum. <laughs> and they don't know anything about what they're talking about half the time. And uh, Colonel... One of the what? Colonel <laughs> Back to Blair. Um, the, um, there's one that's a colonel. And uh, he... Whenever there's any matters of defence that get debated in the House, he will obviously stand up because he knows what he's talking about, so that's absolutely fair enough. But he, I basically said I didn't agree with something that he was saying about airdrops in Syria, um, and he then sort of collared me and was just sort of like, well, you know, I, you know, you've never had to do it. And I said, well, you've never had to give birth, but I bet you voted on maternity policy. You've never had to live on the minimum wage, but I bet you voted on that. You've never had to have tax credits. So don't vote on that ever again. But there is this hierarchy of actual lives versus, you know, their sort of fancy lives don't matter. And that really pisses me off. 
And when you sort of have these exchanges, what, what did he say after you'd made that point? Well, he just sort of walked off. <laughs> um, right, well, let's open up the floor to questions and we'll bring the house out. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask oh, okay. uh, Jess, um, indicate clearly and we'll bring the microphone round. Is there anyone in this section that would like to ask a question? Yes, the chap over there. Um, oh, I can't see anything. Oh, look, there's people up there. Um, Look, look, the word populist, populism is like really common. So what, what, what do you make about like populism generally? And do you think it's something that the left can actually take advantage of, like, like communists now? Or is it only something that the right can do, like uh, the Front National, mm -hmm. Trump, etc.? What, what do you make of that? Well, there was um, populism in Greece, I suppose, is the uh, example of left-wing populism. And that came out of a very specific economic environment, I suppose. But then I suppose the same could be said of America. Um, I think it's much easier messaging um, for the right because it is basically fueled by hate. Uh, and that's easy to get across. A common enemy, like my children will, you know, they hate each other, but when they have a common enemy, they can, there's a certain clarity to their actions. <laughs> uh, it's usually me. Um, but and so I think that it's it's much 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 harder for the left to uh, get it because ultimately it's not that radical to stand up and say let's just be nice to each other you know it doesn't it's no, it's what, awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's all just be kind and share everything it's a much it's a much you know people say that people are people most people live their lives genuinely in a in a kind manner so it doesn't sort of hit people and go yeah yeah man let, let's be kinder whereas when somebody says oh they're getting more than you you think yeah him next door he's getting all the benefits but you could have so a think it's populism hard. where you sort of did that to the rich you could say if if you framed it you could say actually these are the people taking your money if you wanted to do a left wing one instead of blaming migrants blame multinationals blame Billionaires. Yeah, but it, people have tried, haven't they? And maybe with the right front person, it could work. Um, but I'm I'm just not sure because people want Amazon deliveries, um, and people live their lives on in multinationals, and there's been a sort of drip, drip, drip of that idea of big business sort of there's been a fade of it apart from in one particular group of society where that, that sort of you know that rebellion still goes on I, I do think that populism is hard for the left that's not to say that really authentic left-wing leaders couldn't be as popular as Trump well actually I mean he didn't even win the popular vote so he's not that popular alternative fact um but the I, I think it is harder, and I, I can't see where it's going to come from at the moment, because actually, it's been rippling away for a while. There was the whole, what was it, when everyone used to go and sit somewhere? Occupy. That's the one. Um, there was... Uh, oh, no, Virgin <laughs> Trains. The <laughs> <laughs> fucking... Venom. Too late. Um, it still so works. There was the whole Occupy, <laughs> and then Russell Brand thought for a little bit that he was... The Messiah. Fucking hell. And that thing I got that was amazing. I love that. Oh, it's so charming. Um, and really irritating. Um, but the, yeah, no, so at the moment, I can't see where the populist left is going to come from. And this idea that Bernie Sanders would have won against Trump, I just think is absolute bollocks, if I'm completely honest, because he, he didn't even beat Hillary. So, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, Yes, the chap over there. 
since since the leadership election last year, there's been a um, a kind of let him fail on his own terms, leave him alone kind of policy from the. Uh, Are you getting the briefings on the WhatsApp? <laughs> uh, well, like it, it's calmed down, and and, and people, it has calmed people today. see that. Um, but he is failing without any of that interference from the Labour soft left right rightwards kind of wings. Um, how how long can we let that go on for? Surely something has to happen before the next election. Uh, if if he's still staying in place and no one's calling for his resignation from momentum and and the left of the party, but but we are going to lose. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's there's no way of. I, I just don't see a way that Corbyn isn't going to go to the next election. I suppose there is the test at the moment of Stoke and Copeland, but I don't think so. I actually think Corbyn would try and stay if he lost the election. Um, <laughs> oh, my word! Um, but, no, I think that, yeah, there, there is no other... There is no other option that I can see on the horizon. So whether, you know... He, you know, some people don't think he's failing, is what I would say back to you. Um, so, what are you going to do? And those some people are the ones who have the power in this situation. Um, and then he has moments where he's doing all right, and Theresa May is really, really, really bad, and she is going to do some really terrible things that will cause some really terrible problems for people in the middle as well as people at the bottom. So there is a chance that for some of that, you know, he won't be failing. So I don't think there's any way that... I just don't think there's another option. So, so, sum it up, basically. You're you fucked, mate. <laughs> it's all over. Is, is there anyone else down here that would like to ask a question? Um, uh, yes, the lady at the bar. Oh, the, the, the one you're pointing to. Um, I feel a little bit bad because I'm probably... Um, carrying the, the collection of the mainstream media, but... Oh, not the mainstream the media. Worst. Which, um, when I first heard MSM, because I used to work in sexual health services, I thought it meant men who have sex well, with for, men. Well, for a lot of men, MSM meant... <laughs> so men who have sex with men. Um, <laughs> and I thought, why do all these corporate guys hate gay? <laughs> <laughs> and it so, turned out they did anyway. That's what happens when I leave St. James's two hours later. Um, <laughs> As, as someone who works as in, in journalism, what do you think it means for a world where now, if you put up one fact and somebody says, as a politician, it means something completely different? So you say it's black, I say it's white. As a journalist, if politicians now no longer have to answer to accountability, members of the press, what does that mean now? And is that coming across the border from the US to the likes of Ferraris and others in the UK? Mm, I, I think it will... I think it's terrible. You can't have democracy without uh, a free press. And if people can just say, well, that didn't happen. Um, gone are the days of Tony Blair spin where you had to find a new fancy way of saying that didn't happen. Or that happened for the reason exactly why we wanted it to happen. And it was actually really good for all of you. Um, I think it's really, really great dangerous. Guys. What great, great guys. Yeah, I mean, those good old days of spin. Um, but um, I think that it's, it's really, really dangerous. But I think, if, if you don't mind, sir, that the media don't always tell the truth either. So it is difficult then for 
anyone to know what the hell is going on. Because, you know, if you drink a glass of red wine a day, you are not going to die. And then next week, you are going to die, according to the Daily Mail. Which makes you want to drink more. more, yeah. Yeah. So there is so much... And I've read... I mean, it's funny, because I believe every newspaper article I read about everybody else, yet I've never read one about myself that was 100% accurate. (laughs) So it is very difficult for now the in this time when it's been really difficult throughout Brexit, throughout the whole Trump thing, to tell what is real, that sort of hyper-normalisation idea, that now, for the media, rightly, to be going, uh, hang on a minute, you can't just make up alternative facts, for anyone to sound credible. So there is no credible facts left in the argument. Um, And that is really, really, really dangerous, because, you know, it... Everybody makes mistakes. I will have said something today that will be in the newspapers and it won't necessarily have been what I meant or how I intended it to be said. Uh, And people will then judge me forever and ever and ever based on that information. And so there is so much in reporting that is completely subjective. And, you, you know, it's as much my fault as being a poor communicator. So it's as much politicians fault for lying or not representing themselves properly but also the media I think unfortunately have been foisted by their own petard a little bit in their false facts thing not that I hate the MSM or anything <laughs> either or MSM or either or MSM I'm absolutely fine with those <laughs> are there any questions on the balcony this will be the last question is, anyone, the is, there, is there a woman is with there, a question is, <laughs> is there anyone yes at the back. It's, it's not very just hold, just wait for the microphone and here we go. The final question of the night. Okay, it's not a very good question. I've been, oh. thinking, I've been trying to think of something really good, but you've covered all the really good stuff. Oh. And Thanks. you're a really good guest. Um, Thanks. Has Twitter made your life easier or harder? And do you think it has massive ramifications for what politics will be? That's a great question. Um, yeah, that is a really good question. You did that thing that women do where they beat themselves up before they've even spoken. Don't do that. Okay. But I don't think that is a particularly good question. Okay. Well, I like it. Um, uh, Twitter has enhanced my life immensely. Like you know, I, never a train journey am I bored anymore, and I am on the train a lot. So I really, really, really love Twitter. I think it is brilliant and fun, and I have met some amazing, brilliant people on Twitter um, and become friend, really good friends with them in in the process, um, have done campaigns and stuff on it. So there's, there's a lot to be said for it being really, really good. Um, but... Um, I think, it, I'm not sure Twitter, although Trump does love to tweet, um, I'm not sure Twitter is actually really a big part of the problem in the sort of fake news thing. I think Facebook, because Facebook is has the double whammy of, you know, sort of visibility, but also somebody you know has put it up there. So there's an element of trust that goes through Facebook mm. that makes the fake news on Facebook even more dangerous because you think, well, my auntie Julie... She knows that, you know, these, this gang of rapists is going to take over the world. She, she's never lied to me before, so you think that Auntie Julie knows what she's talking about. So that is dangerous. Um, but Twitter, um, in, there have been times in my life when it has genuinely caused me to not have very good mental health because there were thousands of people 
abusing me on it or um, talking about raping me and murdering my children and willfully misunderstanding things that I have said. Um, so there are times when it has been horrific, really, really horrific. But I don't ever stop because actually I love it much, much more. And I really, whilst internet trolling should be stopped and we should do all we can, I am much, much funnier and much cleverer than anyone who has ever had a go at me. And that <laughs> is a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks for your epitaph. <laughs> no, yeah. What a great thing to see on a headstone. I'm much funnier and much cleverer than anyone who's ever had a go at me. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful sign-off. It's become your catchphrase. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, firstly, thank you all for coming out tonight. It's always a pleasure that some of you come down. Thank you. Uh, my next guest, next one, is Margaret Hodge in March. Nikki Morgan. Dies. And uh, a couple of guests. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> But, I mean... It's At least they're women, that's right, yeah. that lady And she's had a bust up with Theresa May, which would be... Yeah, no, I mean, she'll have some stories to tell. She'll have some stories to tell. <laughs> well, let's hope she does, otherwise it'll be a tricky night. <laughs> 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 and then uh, we've got um, some of the guests to uh, be announced uh, later in the year. But ladies and gentlemen, for now, please give a huge thank you to a phenomenal guest, Jeff Phillips. Jess Phillips there. Uh, someone it's an absolute pleasure to share a stage with. Um, not just because she's got such a good instinct for making people laugh, but because she's so honest about um, her politics and how, not how her politics have changed, but how her approach has changed, and relatively quickly. Uh, a lot of people on all sides of politics dig in, and it's always refreshing to talk to someone who still has very strong core values, still has definite left-wing beliefs, but it's someone who's prepared to compromise and prepared to admit that they have changed their position, not on their ideals, but on how they do business, um, and change it quite quick. Uh, obviously, the, the stuff with uh, Diane Abbott and Jeremy Corbyn was hilarious. Um, and, and it's those moments that give you a, a real insight into what it's like to be uh, an MP. Obviously, most MPs are very opinionated people, having to serve under a particular type of leadership. Not about whether it's left or right or whether you think it's good or not, but to have to serve under the current regime. It's always great to get those insights into particularly the dysfunctional moments. And you could say there have been quite a few. Uh, thanks for downloading this. The next guest is Margaret Hodge in February uh, and then Nikki Morgan in March. Um, I think both of those shows have sold out, but just in case, always check the St. James um, Twitter feed. And always check the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. I've got some brilliant guests set to be announced for the spring, summer. See you soon. ta Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.